Hi, and welcome to our DNI podcast, addressing the elephant in the room. As many of you may recognize, I am not indeed Lindsay Bridges. I am a longtime listener, first time caller, Tina Marinkovic. And in this special year end edition of the podcast, I am delighted to have Lindsay on the other side of the microphone. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, Tina. And I must admit, it's feeling a bit odd to be on the other side of the microphone right now. I wondered how you'd be feeling, actually, because as I've listened throughout the year, you are very much in the driver's seat without being in the driver's seat of the podcast. But definitely the podcast is your baby, isn't it? Yeah, it has been. And it's been a real pleasure to explore this subject of diversity and inclusion with a, a bunch of folks from around our UK and Ireland business through 2021. Cool. OK, so how are you feeling on the other side? Do you know, it feels that, well, actually, it was quite strange because I didn't have to prepare very much this morning. So I find myself, oh, I don't, I don't have my notes. And, uh, and that's the oddest thing. Uh, but I'm really excited to see um, what you're going to try and explore this morning, Tina. <laughs> OK, well, Lindsay, maybe uh, for our listeners, we should um, disclose, I think we first met, I feel like it was 2014. I think it was when you first came to Singapore. Um, when we were launching the Certified Programme. I think it was, Tina, yeah. I think it was way back then when um, when you were launching Certified Foundations and part of my global role at that time was uh, was engagement and comms and I, uh, I spent a bit of time with you out there. You did, absolutely. And since then, I think, well, actually, if I'm honest, I probably knew of you before then anyway because I think it's fair to say you are somewhat of a personality across the business. Do you think that's fair to say? Um, I've been around a bit in the business, I guess, for quite a long time. But you've been around a bit, but I think you also are not shy of stepping forward and being outspoken, which is why, you know, I'm not surprised you've been doing a DNI podcast for the last 12 months. I mean, Tina, I just think it's important that as senior leaders in our business, we do take a step and we do talk about the things that matter to our employees in the business. And in the case of this podcast, it was me very much about what matters to our business, to an external audience. So when you started the podcast um, and that first episode you did with Dan Peacock, Dan, who obviously right from the start, you said, Dan, it's an, an interesting choice for you to actually be um, one of the sponsors for DNI. And as he himself said, you know, as a sort of a white, straight, um, pretty down the, down the middle of the road kind of guy. Um, where do you think over the last 12 months the conversation has shifted. If you look back on that first conversation you and Dan had about the sorts of things that you as leaders were wanting to see specifically in the UKI business and some of the challenges that you've faced, looking back on that sort of 10, 12 months later, how do you think you're going in terms of making progress? I think if I reflect back, there's a couple of things I'd call out in 2021 in our UKI business that we've done pretty strongly this year. And it's very much um, around, the first is around the communications, around diversity and inclusion. So we have, through our sponsor group, our steering group, our networks, done a massive amount of education and awareness. Now, look, Tina, there's always going to be more to do. And it is ever so hard to get that communication out to almost 40,000 people in the business. But I think we've done a lot this year to recognise comms tied to things like international dis uh, International Women's Day, Disability Awareness, uh, Black History Month being the most recent one that I was involved in, really trying to get that message down to, um, to everyone across the business. The, the other aspect that I'm particularly proud of is what we've done around our networks. 
So we've got established now a gender network, a race network, and an LGBTQ plus network. They've got, I guess, maybe 20 or so very active members in each network, and they've been responsible for driving the agenda for each of those three diversity lines um, with some senior sponsorship and taking that forward. Now, obviously, the, the UKI business is massive. I think is it, you've got about 40,000 people, I guess, working there. Do you see that these, you know, because obviously the resource groups, a lot of the amazing people you've spoken to this year, you know, they, how good of these sort of groups at getting the message out beyond kind of these immediate communities? Do you think that actually across the business that you're making good traction or do you see it still happening in pockets? Um, I'd love to say it's making great traction anywhere, but I really don't think it is. I think it is in pockets. I think where we, you know, we have 300 or so sites in the UK where we've got interested site leaders or or teams at the sites who really see this as a very important task. It tends to work very well. Uh, but in other areas, maybe our site leaders don't have this as top of their agenda. They maybe don't see it as being as much of a business imperative for them. And I think, therefore, we do struggle in some places. It's it's not anywhere near as consistent as I think I'd like it to be. I think what you're describing there, though, in terms of, you know, if you do have a leadership team which embraces it, that for whatever reason sees it as part of their job, it is easier to see that we are making progress. I think something that is a challenge, not just in the UKI, it's across the business. If we look at the experiences we're hearing from the other regions, it's where you have a population that is less engaged on the topic, whether it's they're too busy, you know, running the day to day, whether they don't necessarily think that it should be something that's so visible. What is it that you think we need to do or we should be doing to start shifting these people and bringing them on board as well? I think we have a lot more work to do in terms of really understanding the what's in it for me at a very granular, tangible level. I'm not sure that, you know, increased profitability or better investment returns really kind of does it for, you know, for a site manager whose day job is, you know, getting product in and out the door and meeting customer and operational service levels. So I think we've got to do a better job at kind of translating, you know, what's in it for me at a, at a site level. And what do you think is in it for them? I mean, if you go to one of these sites, if you if you are in a business like that, what is the message that you're sort of giving these these leaders? Well, I think there's a number of things for me. If I, if I think very critically at the moment, you know, we have a huge resource challenge in the UK right now, not just in our industry, but across the entire of the country. And if we can do a better job at attracting people from a more diverse group of employees, perhaps that expands the type of people who want to come and work for us. But if we really want to um, stem that flow of levers, stop people leaving our business, really keep them engaged, then we've got to be able to figure out what makes that individual employee tick? What is it that gives them that emotional tie to our business? And I think if you're coming from a different diversity line, um, then what ties you and what engages you and what motivates you is, is different. And I think helping our managers see that this is an engagement tool, a retention tool, I think that's, um, that could be something that's quite pertinent right now for us. And I think, Lindsay, you've just, um, what you've mentioned there as well, I think when you talk about the authenticity and the ability to bring your true self to work, one of the things that has struck me listening back over previous episodes of the, the podcast 
is the variety of people that you've been able to bring in to talk to you on the topic, many of whom, particularly if you think about some of the young grads that you've spoken to um, and people like that, who obviously, um, and we're talking about people that might have joined us, I think, 18 months ago, two years ago, and they're attracted to DHL as, as an employer because we are international. We're seen as actually quite a diverse place for a career. Um, some of these folks expressed some surprise that when they actually arrived, you know, they were only perhaps the only person of color in the room. They were perhaps the only woman in the room. Um, but they have actually then themselves have seen a shift um, going through and they see that we're bringing more people on board. What struck me is a lot of these people would talk about actually meeting you in these occasions, that you're up front, that you are often kind of, whether it's welcoming grads, whether you're talking to, you know, that next level of leadership. Um, do you see your own involvement as this? Is this sort of, I mean, you're a busy person, you're running a massive, massive business there from an HR perspective. Um, when you make time for things like that, what is it that drives you to do that? I just think it's really important. Um, I think there's nothing more important than making sure our employees bring their true selves to work every day. And, you know, I have a role to play in that as, as my role as the HR leader for a UK and I business, yes, but also just as my role as being, you know, a leader in our business more generally, not even specifically HR. I think engagement is key and I want people to, to feel like I do. I want people to feel like they want to come and work for us every day and that they want to give their best every day. Listening to um, the podcast over the last few months, you've had some amazing people join you. Um, what are some of the main things you've learned this year? Uh, oh, that's a great question, Tina. I've had some incredible guests this year, haven't I? It's been absolutely fascinating. Um, I think this probably, probably the thing I've learned most from the podcast um, has been maybe when I interviewed Chrissy and Michelle, um, our transgender colleagues, and they talked about their experiences at work. That was probably uh, one of the episodes for me that stood out in terms of my own, my own learning through that. But I've had a lot of learning as well through just being involved in our diversity inclusion networks within the UK. So for the benefit of those maybe who, who don't understand the race network so well, can you just... Uh, the networks that you're doing, um, the different networks, how do they actually work? What is it that they do in the business? So the networks are a group of, um, of volunteers, people from a different diversity line who want to get a little bit more involved. And currently we have three, LGBTQ+, race and gender. And folks from those networks or allies who've got an interest in those networks basically come together to talk about predominantly education, awareness and communication. That's their current role in terms of trying to push out more information to the wider business. Each network's got a sponsor and I sponsor the race network. So part of their job as well is to, is to feedback and feedback to me and I take that back through to our board about maybe things that are working well and maybe things that aren't working so well and things that we could potentially change or do differently. And just thinking then about that, your sort of sponsorship role, what are some of the things that maybe you've learnt then um, in terms of the things that are working and potentially not working so well? I, I've learnt a lot. The Race Network are really good at, um, at giving me feedback and at telling me when I'm maybe not quite understanding things from their perspective. And I've, I've learnt to remember that I come at things from a position of a white female in our business and the privilege that that brings and that my colleagues in our race network of a different diversity line maybe just have a different perspective. They see things differently. Um, we've had a lot of debates, for example, very openly 
around the death of George Floyd and how how we dealt with that. And I will I will admit, Tina, I didn't understand the impact that that uh, event had on some of our black colleagues in the business. And I've learned a lot about how. Um, I should have responded to that particular incident. So it's things like that. It's things that are just different to what I've been brought up with or what I know and being open-minded to learning and, and to continuing to learn about that. And I think, Lindsay, what's interesting, what just struck me as well, thinking about something like the George Floyd incident specifically is that's an international incident, isn't it? That's something that didn't necessarily happen in the UKI. Um, and so to think of the impact it would have locally, um, I mean, that's something that's surprising to me in terms of, you know, just when you understand the global business, the global impact of these things, something that can happen somewhere else really can have an impact closer to home um, and thinking through that. I think that's very true, Tina. It's something that we might need to be more aware of um, as individual leaders in our business or as organisations more generally, that just because something happens somewhere else, doesn't mean that there isn't an impact geographically um, and that was yeah one of the things that I learned in talking to you know to some of our teams about that. When you look at the the race networks because I think the UKI business is um, you know you've quite a way down the journey with this if you look ahead to next year what are you, what's your hope for them and if if you look at across you know the entire portfolio what are you hoping that these groups can achieve next year? So one of the things we did recently with the Race Network is we held a round table facilitated session with some of our senior leaders and some members of the network. And we just shared discussions and ideas and we had the ability to ask them what it felt to be a person of colour working in our business in the UK and Ireland. And they had the ability to tell us how it felt looking at a board and, and a board that is 100% white um, in terms of you know, how that made them feel from a role models perspective and from an aspirations perspective and how this theme of role modeling and, and the lack of representation at a senior level in our business has come out quite strongly and something that we need to celebrate where we do have uh, people of color in more senior roles and really honestly take action around our recruitment processes in a very tangible way to make sure that we're not inadvertently being biased at points in the process. And what are some of the things that we would need to do differently at the recruitment level um, in terms of if, if bias is inherent in the system somehow, what are some of the things that we need to be doing differently or being more mindful of? So some of the stuff that we've already done in our graduate recruitment and we're, we're bringing into our wider recruitment now, in graduate recruitment a couple of years ago, we had a large number of people of colour um, applying, but a smaller purport, disproportionate number actually being successful. And we did a number of things. We, um, we made sure that the storyboarding and the branding we used was diverse and representative. That was one very simple. We flipped around the order of some of the questions. If you ask somebody up front, um, have you got a right to work in the UK? That's a trigger question I've learned. And we should do that later in the process or in a more subtle way. We automate as much as we can through the process because when you bring humans in, humans are biased. We know that. So we can take that out to the last moment. And then when we did run our assessment centres for graduate, every manager in the assessment centre um, needs to go through the subconscious bias training that we run so that they at least have an understanding of their own bias and can try to counteract that. And what happened, Tina, was that we, in, from in last year's graduate recruitment, we had more or less the same proportion of applicants 
come in as actually offers that were made. Whereas in the past, that had been a different proportion. I was really, really pleased to see that the debiasing work that we'd done had worked. It's amazing. And I mean, what you're describing actually seems in, I mean, it doesn't seem like rocket science. It's about kind of, I guess, creating the awareness um, that there's an issue and then actually looking and revisiting the systems. Is that, have I oversimplified it somehow? Um, it is a way, you're right, it's not rocket science, but it is something that I think we need to continually just check in ourselves. Are our processes up to date? Are they reflecting current society? You know, this is an evolving landscape. I'm sure diversity and inclusion in five years' time will not be what it is today. And if I look backwards, it's probably quite different, you know, five years ago as well. So I think it is about continuing to check, to improve, to train, to educate and to change. I think it's a really good point, Lindsay, in terms of, you know, just how quickly things are evolving. Um, and even if you look back over the conversations you've had or even we've been having across the business, people, I think, feel a lot more open and willing to talk about personal things, whether it is specific to do about diversity or if it's something to do with health and well-being. It seems to be much easier now um, to bring that into some of the professional conversations we're having. I think you're right, Tina. We... You know, these days people are much more willing to talk about what's going on. And for me, that's about encouraging that conversation, is about encouraging people to bring their full selves to work every day, to bring their true selves to work every day and to be themselves at work. It's that engagement piece that I was talking about earlier in the podcast. And I think personally that it's incredibly important that people do that. And we as leaders, and I as the HR leader for the UK, you know, need to find ways to encourage people to do that. Well, and I think you yourself have been very, um, very visible on this front this year, um, as many of our listeners may not be aware. In fact, you have yourself had some quite serious health issues this year, but you've been very open about that, certainly very open with your team and open with your, your colleagues and a broader audience. Tell us a bit about what that felt like for, for someone who obviously is, is in your situation where you're very visible, um, you've got a very big role. How did it feel to actually open up about some of your challenges? So I know I get my energy um, from being around other people and, and talking and being open to other people. I'm very extroverted in that sense. So um, I had a breast cancer diagnosis in February this year, and I knew that one of the ways that would help me deal with that was to talk uh, with other people about it. But Tina, it was when I was doing some research and I realized that in the UK, one in seven ladies will suffer from breast cancer in their lifetime. That's 45 people in my HR team in the UK. And that hit me, really hit me like a ton of bricks. It's like, oh my goodness, that's, that's shocking. And how can we help people know that if they self-examine, then there is a chance they can catch breast cancer earlier and there's a, a chance therefore that it is more readily treated. And I, I realized that um, I had, just due to the, the role that I have in work, the ability to share my experience and help people have that education understanding and potentially help them catch this kind of issue earlier and get it treated. And, and that was one of the reasons why I, I spoke to my, my HR conference about it and then that, that film clip that we made from that, uh, that speech we've used and you've used actually in the wider business as part of a, a bigger education campaign around breast cancer awareness. 
I think, Lindsay, as, as kind of, I guess, a, a woman in the business as well, listening to you about that, what struck me is, yes, on the one hand, it's bringing visibility to a health issue, which most of us face. I think one of the things that struck me was how open you were about the impact um, potentially on the way that you were working and the steps that you were taking to make sure that you had the time to recover in health and that change in mindset for you. Because I think a lot of us, it's one thing to admit that we have an illness or health. So many of us are very nervous to say, look, I actually, I need downtime. I'm going to do things differently. I think it'd be really interesting to understand because that felt like a very brave thing to do. Did it feel brave to you at the time? Yeah, it did. I mean, come on, Tina, you know me. I like to be in control 110%, right, all the time. And I like to know what's going on. And I'm a busy, um, highly, you know, work-driven individual. And to have to say, I need to step away from this for a period of time was incredibly challenging. And, and yeah, there is a stigma attached to that, and there shouldn't be, but there still is. And we have to break those stigmas down. Because I think what we're realising these days is that everybody needs... A bit of time to do things at a point in time. Um, so what helped me? What helped me was my team. I have an amazing HR team and I knew they were more than capable. So there was a real message there for me in terms of actually I can trust them both individually and collectively to step up and do things for me. And I also just had to realise that actually I'm not, it doesn't matter if I'm not on a particular call, it, you know, things will still happen. And that's a bit of a hard lesson to learn that you kind of not, um, you know, you're not, not necessarily needed all the time. You're not irreplaceable. Um, so those were probably the key things that I had to, to fight back. But quite honestly, there were days, Tina, when I just, I physically couldn't come to work. I just physically wasn't able to, you know, to be able to sit at a desk and focus. And, and so necessity took over to some extent as well. And I know you were reasonably reluctant or I know at the time that I approached you and asked if we could share some footage of you talking to your team about the challenges, I think your immediate response was that you didn't want to make it about yourself. You didn't want to make, you know, sort of talk about something so privately, so openly globally. But I think we saw in the comments of people the response to, yes, uh, you know, a colleague going through a health crisis, but just your willingness to be so open and share and that kind of authenticity. I think, I mean, we've never seen so many comments to a video and a lot of that really was around celebrating, you know, that we could be the sort of business where people could feel comfortable. Um, how did that make you feel? Well, you know, Tina, when, when you approached me um, to say you wanted to put this this film out um, globally, I was like, it's not about me and I don't want it to be about me. And I was, I was really uncomfortable about that. Um, I think you were proved right in that, you know, when I began to read the comments and the emails that I got from people in our business all around the world, people that I had met, people I hadn't met, it wasn't so much about Lindsay and what Lindsay done. It was very much about here's, um, here's somebody, you know, relatively senior in our business willing to say, actually, it's okay not to be okay sometimes. And it made me realize Tina, that it's important that we do that because that's what encourages other people to have the confidence to do that as well. So um, it was absolutely the right thing to do. Um, and it was, I think it, it landed in the way that we had wanted it to within the business. Absolutely. And I think if you look back over the, the journey of this podcast and talking about the elephant in the room, so much of it has been around the culture shift 
in the business. And we've talked about individual leaders doing the right things. We've talked about the, the need to actually reach out to colleagues who perhaps aren't quite in the same place. Um, I think we're seeing that culture shift. And I think I hope that you're also appreciating as much as you're talking externally um, about the different things that we're doing, the way DHL is contributing, that internal conversation that's starting is becoming a lot stronger as well. I know it's been not so comfortable for you being on the other side of the microphone today, Lindsay, but thanks for letting me in because I think so much about what you're doing. And in, when you're having these conversations with people, you're very good at bringing you know, some of their experiences and really help amplify that into the organization. I think sometimes we forget that it's individuals that have their own story as well. You've had a story this year. You've maintained this ability to sort of keep going, keep things moving. Really excited to see what happens this year. If if you had sort of a couple of thoughts to close out the year, um, what would they be? Um, so the first one would be that it's a really good learning experience to be on the other side of the podcast because now I know what my guests feel like and I probably need to think about making them even more comfortable <laughs> when they join. <laughs> and no, seriously, Tina, thank you. Um, I guess I guess for me, the, the main learnings for this year, uh, the main learnings for me are continuing to be open to listen and learn to different perspectives to continue to encourage people to give me feedback. Um, I've had a lot of that this year and I've learned from that and I need to continue to get more. Uh, reading, um, not expecting everybody within the business to tell me the answers about you know a particular diversity line, but, but taking that initiative to read up externally actually as well. I think that's quite an important learning uh, for me as well. And just really continuing to, to be myself at work, but encouraging to other people to be themselves at work, to try and break down some of the stigmas that exist, particularly in the well-being space, and to to just encourage people to bring themselves to work, to make our business the great place to work for everybody that we want it to be. Thanks, Lindsay. It's been an amazing year. I'm inspired. Um, I'm sure that our listeners, your listeners, are inspired. Um, just as equally, I'm sure that you're looking forward to get back in the driver's seat next year. So thank you very much. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this special edition of The Elephant in the Room. It's goodbye from me. And a goodbye from me, too, after I have thanked Tina, our Head of International Communications for Supply Chain Globally, for interviewing me this morning on this last edition of the 2021 podcast. Thank you to all of the listeners for this year. I hope you've enjoyed the series. Watch out for the new series coming in 2022. And we're now coming into the holiday season. I'd like to just take the chance to wish everybody a safe and happy holiday. Um, I hope you're all managing to get some time off, some well-deserved downtime to look after yourselves, uh, to spend time with friends and family, to take care of your mental well-being through this period. And if you celebrate it, have a very happy Christmas. Mm -hmm.